I don't know what, uh, what your sense of things is when you come into worship, but I often will hear people make reference to how the, the music portion, that part of worship is the setup for the teaching time. <laughs> I just want to remind you, uh, we have just done the main event. You know, we gather for Jesus. We are here to honor him. And while it is a privilege to get to, to teach his word and to preach that, that is not anymore the main event by any stretch. If anything is the main event, it is just when we pray, when we sing, when we offer our love and worship to God and declare his goodness, that is the main thing. And so I appreciate you being here and just giving your heart to that. I'm going to ask you if you will, um, I know we've already prayed, but I want to ask you if you will to just bow with me for one moment more. And I just want us to make sure that we've cleared the room. So I would ask you to just participate with me in taking authority and making sure that, that we are the only ones here, that the enemy doesn't have any, any opportunity to hold on or distract from what's going on here. Father, we thank you for your love and for the authority that you give us in Christ. And we ask that in a fresh way his blood would be applied in our lives. We confess our sinfulness and our need for your forgiveness. We ask for that now. Thank you for it. And we submit ourselves to your authority and we now stand against the devil and every demonic spirit that has been assigned either to Freedom Church or to the people who've assembled here today. And we take authority over every one of those spirits. I take the authority that's mine as a shepherd over this flock and command in Jesus' name that you are bound, your authority is broken, and you must be silent right now as you leave these people, you leave these families and this place and go where Jesus right now is telling you to go. Do not return here, do not return to these people. We just invite and welcome the presence, the voice, and work of the Holy Spirit now in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it is the start of a new year. And I love turning the page to the, to the beginning of a new year because uh, it's just that, that perfect moment where, you know, it doesn't really matter. If you had a great 2013, super. It's the perfect time to pause and thank God for that and to just look forward with a sense of anticipation to what God has in store for the year to come. And you know what? If you had a rotten 2013, if it was the worst year of your life, great news, it's over. <laughs> We're done with it. We have closed the last page on 2013, and it's a brand new year that's going to look different from last year, and aren't you grateful for that? I am. I am. I have noticed this, though, that it's funny how people sort of fall in two different categories as to how they look at life and the things that happen. You know, there are those people who are sort of passive, and they sort of sit back and wait for life to come to them. And those are the people who look ahead at a year like 2014 and kind of go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to me this year. Will it be a year where good things happen to me or a year where bad things happen to me? You know, it's like I'm going to be a victim or just a beneficiary of whatever happens to me. And then there are other people, the other category of folks, they're the proactive ones who look at the year ahead usually with optimism, and say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to control everything that happens this year, but I have a large influence on a lot of what happens. I can walk with God. I can be in step with His plan. I can walk in what He has for me this year. I know there's not going to be anything that comes my way that's worse than what the Lord says that I can stand, and I just believe that God's going to help me to walk in fullness and to, and to make wise choices and make the most of this year. I want to invite you to be a part of the second group of folks. Today's message is about planning to have a great year in 2014 because you do realize that we all share these things in common. 2013, it had some good stuff and it had some rotten stuff for everybody in the room. Would you agree with that? How many of you had blessings in 2013 that you're thankful for? Everybody in the room. How many of you had some really stinky stuff happen to you in the past year? Some of you can raise both hands on that one. Yes, good and bad, both are going to come. I am determined. That if we make the right choices and set the right priorities, the good's going to far outweigh the bad this year. So today is about setting ourselves up for the best year that we can have as we walk with Christ into the new year. Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. A lot of people don't realize that Moses wrote one of the psalms. So this is, I guess, the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And today we're going to use uh, two verses out of this psalm that I love that are a perfect fit for today where he says in Psalm 90:10. We can expect 70 years or maybe 80 if we're healthy, but even our best years bring trouble and sorrow. Well, there you go. That's what we were just talking about. Good and bad are going to come every year. But then suddenly our time is up, 
and we disappear. So teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. That last line is worth underlining. And it's really a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Lord, teach us to use wisely all of the time that we have. When you look back on your life, do you have regrets? Are there some things that you've done and some windows of time that if you could do over, you would use that time differently? You would go in a different direction. That's what he's talking about. Lord, help us not to to make rotten choices and waste our time on things that don't matter. Teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. And that time, it is limited. He said, you know, expect 70 years, maybe 80 if we're healthy. You know, it's interesting to me, this passage is more than 3,500 years old and how close to accurate that life expectancy still is for today. In the United States, the average life expectancy is about 78, 79 years. So I guess if we updated that a bit, we could say we can expect about 80 years and about 90 if we're really healthy is kind of the way it works today. Sounds a lot like it did in Moses' day. The other passage springing off that thought of using wisely all the time that we have is Ephesians 5, 15 and following, where Paul says, act like people with good sense and not like fools. Doesn't that sound just like your mama when you were a teenager? Act like you got some sense and not like a fool. These are evil times, so make every minute count. Don't be stupid. Instead, figure out what the Lord wants you to do. I mean, that just sounds like when you were 16 and you came in later than you were supposed to and your parents were coming down on you. Don't be stupid. Act like a wise person, not like a fool. Make every minute of your life count. That's what we're going to talk about today. Making every minute of your life, making every minute of 2014 count. Now, I'm going to share with you, first of all, I'm going to share with you just four truth statements about this, about making every minute count, about making the most of your time. So four truth statements about your time, and then we're going to spend the second half of our time doing a real practical exercise in setting ourselves up for what we're going to do differently in 2014. So the first, first truth statement is this, that time is the most valuable commodity that we have on earth. You believe that? Oh, you can count on it. Now you may say, well, there are other things that are more valuable, love and relationships. Those are not commodities. Commodities can be measured. You can't measure love. You can measure time. And time is the most valuable commodity that we have in this life. And if you don't believe that, think about it this way. You know, you may say, well, not everybody's going to feel that way. Some people feel like money or houses, land and cars and stuff like that. Possessions, that's a a more valuable commodity to some. (laughs) Not really. You know how I know that? Because you take that rich man who has valued money and land and homes, and you let a doctor tell him you've got six months to live. You've got six weeks to, to live. And you watch how fast he will liquidate whatever he has in the bank to try and buy himself more time. We'll always swap money and stuff for time. Time is the most valuable commodity that we have. And we've all been given a limited amount of it. That's what Moses is saying. You know, you can expect 70 years, 80 years. If you're healthy, 90 years. But the bottom line is your time is going to run out. When you're young, it feels like you've got forever. You know, I, I like to kind of play around with this just to take a, a good look at my own life and keep it in perspective. So I keep in mind that if I have the normal American life expectancy, if I was born, going to live just the length of time that the average American lives, then that means that when I was born, I had 4,160 weeks ahead of me. That sounds like forever. But guess what? I'm close to turning 46. If I live the average life expectancy, it's no longer 4,000 in anything. It's now 1,690 weeks left. Now, don't misunderstand. We can't take any week for granted. I don't know that I'm going to have that many years. But the point is, boy, 1,000 and something sounds like a lot less than 4,000 and something. And everybody in the room who's got a little gray showing or maybe not much showing at all up here, you know, everybody that's had some years pass can appreciate what I'm talking about. The longer you live, the more you realize that life passes so quickly. That's why Moses and Paul are saying, you better make the most of your time. You better make every minute count. Life is shorter than you think. 
I was I was just looking this week, curious about what life expectancies are, and and you know not to depress anybody, but just the, these are the facts statistically. If we are an a cross section, an average cross section of Americans, one in eight of us will die before age sixty. One in four of us will die before age seventy. So you got a seventy five percent chance of living to be seventy. Just a hair over half of us will live to be 80. That's the tipping point. It's right around 80. Now, ladies, you'll, you'll do better than men. Ladies, you'll outlive the men on average by five years. So you, your life expectancy is just past 80. About one in four of us will live to be 90. And one out of every 35 of us will live to be 100. You know what the long and short of that is? You can be on the long end or the just below average in, and it doesn't make a huge difference in how long you're given. Life is short. You better make the most of the time that you've been given. It is a gift. He says, suddenly our time is up and we disappear. All of this is a reminder of the fact that when we trust Christ, God gives us a gift that is so perfect. I mean, what do we say? When you get saved, God gives you the gift of what? Eternal life. What's so special about eternal life? It's the most precious commodity that you can be given. It's life without an expiration date. It's a body that doesn't wear out that you're going to be given when you wear this body out. It's all the time imaginable. That's a great gift. Time's the most precious commodity that we have, and it is a fleeting one. Second truth statement is this. Nothing reveals our values and priorities more accurately than our schedules. You know, we love to run around and say, well, my priorities are God, family, church, job, whatever. We can say that all that we want to, but you want to know what your priorities are? You check out your day timer. You track what you do hour by hour through the course of the week, and your schedule will declare absolutely what your values are because you are trading in the most precious commodity that you have for those other things. You know, everybody, unless you die this week or Jesus comes back this week, everybody's schedule bank account has the same amount of money in it, so to speak. For this week, you've been given 168 hours that you're going to spend. You know, we have a lot of different amounts of money in our financial bank accounts, but in your time bank account, everybody's the same. Everybody who doesn't die this week. Yet all have the same amount to spend, 168. And how you spend that 168, 168 hours, is going to say what you value. The most valued gift that you can give to people is your time. Your kids get that. They understand that all too well. One of my favorite preachers is somebody who's not even a pastor. He's a sociology professor, but he makes a mighty fine preacher. His name's Tony Campolo, and he's been around forever, and some of you know him and have heard him before. But uh, years ago, I would hear him talk about mission trips and his, his take on missions. And at first, when I would hear him talk about it, it made me scratch my head and think, is he crazy? I mean, I'm not sure what to make of that. And over the years, I've come to appreciate how on target he is about this. He, he would talk about how the American church typically does missions and how really kind of upside down the whole thing is. And, and now having led lots of mission trips to a number of different countries, uh, I get it even more so. And he, he would talk about how on the, on the one hand, how we tend to miss the mark in that we go on a mission trip and what we typically do is we're there for a very limited amount of time. We're there for one week or maybe 10 days or two weeks. And because time is short... We're busy, busy, busy. We're on a schedule. We've got to get a lot done. We've got, and we always want to build something. We're Americans, and so we want to build something. We want to leave our mark. We want to be able to step away and go, we did that. That was us. We, we built that. Do you see that? Built by Americans. The American church has come in and saved the day, worshiping the church that we built. Now, we don't say it that way, but that's what it looks like. And it sort of sets us up to be the saviors of the third world. And Campolo points out, as an aside, he's like, Okay, part of what's wrong with that equation is most of those places have got the natural resources and they absolutely have got the workforce. You know, they've, some of them have got 50% unemployment. The one thing they have too much of is free time to work. 
And we come in and say, let us build you a church and save the day for you. And so on the one hand, he's like, that, that only creates even a greater sense of defeat and dependency and all. But the bigger point that he makes, this is what I want to point out for us today, is he says, we miss out on the richest thing that needs to happen on mission trips. And that is that we would simply go and spend time with the people that we, that we go over to connect with. That we would find ways to serve them, to connect with them. A- and he points out accurately, virtually any time you go on a mission trip, you go stay in your, you know, your hotel or your compound or your little enclosed area where we Americans stay. And we'll run out and do our project during the day. And then we'll come back together with all the Americans. And he said, you know, the, the best thing you could do on a mission trip is to go and spend a week living with somebody who is indigenous, somebody who, who lives the life all the time. Eat what they eat. Sleep where they sleep. Experience life as they know it, and you connect with them, and you just find ways to serve them in the time that they are there. And he said, you, you watch the impact that it has on them and on you and how, how that surpasses the whole thing of, we've got to get busy, busy, busy. We've got a building to build over here. And I've, I've been a part of enough of those trips. Don't want to ever do another one of those trips. It, it, it is just, it's almost tragic to watch what it looks like when you go into the third world. And I've seen us do this in just multiple different countries. And it doesn't really matter where, in Mexico or Cuba or Tanzania, wherever we go, it it looks the same that the American team is always on the clock. Come on, we've got to get going. What's wrong with these other people? We've got to hurry up and get the project started. We've got things to do. We're going to work, work, work all day long, take a short lunch, get back out there on the job, work, 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 work. We've got to get the thing finished. And it's funny how everywhere we've been, we run into a culture that doesn't look like that. They're taking time over their coffee in the mornings. They're sitting around the fire in the mornings. And I don't know how many times I've seen the American team in, in Africa going, those Africans have got to get in here. It's time to start worship. We've got to get worship finished so we can get the clinic open. Hurry, hurry, hurry. What are the Africans doing? They're sitting around talking out there. Do not, they do not understand we are on the clock here. Africans, they have a line that they say to us, and often say behind our backs. Oh, Americans, all Americans have watches, but Africans have time. Well, that that one line sums up a lot. We're on the clock. We're in a hurry. We've got things to get done. And so many of these people have figured out the most important things that we do are relational. The best gift that we can give is our time to each other. Doesn't mean that you don't ever get anything done but that you figure out what really matters most in giving away your time. So, so how do you make the, the most of your time? How do you make every minute count? Well, you have to figure out what counts the most and then invest more time in it. That's not rocket science, is it? If you want to make the most of your time, you've got to figure out what matters the most and then give it all the time you possibly can. Well, can I just go ahead and, and cut to the chase and tell you, if you want to figure out what matters most... I can tell you in one passage of Scripture what matters most because Jesus was asked the question, what matters most? He summed it up very succinctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said everything in the Scripture is summed up in those statements. Love God. Have a relationship with God. Love people. and Have a healthy relationship with the people around you and love yourself. You may think, well, that third one's kind of a weird one. How do you have a good relationship with yourself? Let me tell you, there's a bunch of people in this room that you don't have a good relationship with yourself. You don't love yourself. How many of you, if you're honest right now, would have to say, when I look in the mirror in the mornings, I hate the person that I see. I hate seeing what my body looks like. I just, I can't stand who I am and where I am in life. Those three things, you want to figure out how to invest a lot of your time in 2004 in a healthy way? You invest time in a deeper relationship with God you invest in meaningful relationships with others and you invest some time in yourself doing the things that would help you to feel better about yourself and to love yourself that will be time well spent that will make for a great start to building a, a really strong 2014 investing in the things that matter most the third truth statement there's enough time in every day to do the will of God 
Aren't you glad to know that? That's a bit of a relief right there. I, I am a, <clears throat> a list maker by nature. I've spent way too much of my life making a list of everything I need to do today. And here's the thing I would consistently do. I would put about two or three days worth of stuff on my d- list for every day. Anybody else ever do that besides me? That it's like, you know, if, if God would ever give me that 48-hour day, I could get my <laughs> list done for once. Never got one of those. So every day it's like, oh, there's all these things that I did not get to check off my list. Well, carry them over to tomorrow. Well, it's really a relief to find out that there's enough time in every day to do the will of God. There might be enough time to do Mark's list, but it is such a relief to know Mark's list is not what matters today. The will of God is what matters today, and Jesus just walked in the will of God. Jesus said in John 5, you, know, you want to know what I do? I just do what I see my Father doing all the time. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Well, the thing that's liberating about that is you don't walk around with any guilt about, oh my goodness, I should have gotten more done today. There's so much other stuff that needs to be done. So many people to be helped, so much to be done, bills to be paid, and blah, 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 blah. When you walk in God's will, there's time for everything that needs to be done today. Whatever you didn't get around to today, it wasn't for today. It'll be waiting for tomorrow. Isn't that a good place to be? Thus, the wisdom of Paul's words. Make the most of your time and don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the Lord's will is primarily relational. You may need to write that down. The will of God is primarily relational. Think about it. The most significant statements in the New Testament, I I would dare say, are the great commandment and the great commission. We just quoted the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. The great commission. As you go, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Every part... Of those two great statements, every part of it is relational. Isn't it funny how much of our time that we spend thinking about and worrying over and praying about things that aren't relational? Now, I'm not saying God never cares about those things, but I'll go out on a little bit of a limb and say, I don't think God much gives a rip which car you picked. He doesn't really care if you got the black one or the red one. He doesn't care if you got the Chevy or the Ford or the Import. I don't think God is terribly worried about which house you chose, as long as you chose responsibly. So many of the things that we worry about, I mean, even to the extent of, you know, when you're weighing job options, oh God, would you have me work at option A or option B? I think God so many times is looking at that and going, you know, I'm really not worried about option A or B so long as you love me well and you love and serve the people around you well. The will of God is primarily relational. And we spend a lot of our time worrying about things that aren't relational. This is what worries me for me. I love to make my to-do lists. And what I love even more is putting check marks next to getting those things done. Done. I feel better about myself. Check. Done. I feel even better about myself. It really chaps me, all the things that don't get done. But here's what worries me about that. is how many things on my list aren't relational relationships don't fit well on our to-do list, do they? Relationships take time. Investing in people takes time. We better figure out what counts the most. And if we're going to make the most of 2014, we better invest more time in the things that count the most. And it's the relational stuff that counts the most. Last truth statement. If you don't control your schedule, other people will can i get an amen Amen. or an oh me how many of you know that one's a fact if you don't control your schedule other people will now there are some people in the world that don't have a lot of control over their schedule but that's probably not you if you're an inmate you may not have a lot of control over your schedule if you're full-time in the military there's a lot in your schedule you don't control but for the rest of us you pretty much control your schedule. You pretty much control 168 out of the next 168 hours in your week. 
You may say, oh, you just don't know my boss and my job. No, maybe I don't, but I do know this. <laughs> you decide where you work. And to a large extent, you decide how much you'll give to work. If you don't control that, expect to be controlled by it. Now, I get it. I mean, some people, you're living at a, at a tough season in your life. You're maybe caring for aging patients, uh, uh, parents or who become patients. Uh, you know, you're having, if you're raising a bunch of kids and they're at a young age that they demand a lot of your time, I, I get it. That, that, that takes a lot of your time. The gift in that is those things are relational. You're investing in really sound things. But the bottom line is, you've got to take responsibility for your schedule. And if your schedule is controlling you, probably the most significant spiritual thing that you could do today is say, under God's leadership, I hereby take charge of my schedule. And if it means I've got to change jobs, I've got to radically re rearrange things in my life, then so be it. But I am not going to be a puppet on a string that other people control. Time is the most precious gift that I've been given and I'm going to make the most of it. So, in our remaining time, I want us to do a little exercise that is just about that. It's about making the most of your time in 2014. Did everybody get a copy of this when you walked in the door? Has everybody got one of these? Y'all wave them at me. Did y'all get these? Is there anybody, let me ask anybody who did not get a copy of the outline, because we're going to use this a lot. Uh, Mike or somebody at the back, if there are extra copies, would y'all? Tom's got some. Just raise your hands if you don't if you didn't get a copy of that, because we're going to work on this for the next several minutes. All right, everybody got one in hand now? The first thing that I want you to do is uh, pull out a pen, and I want you to... There are 18 things that you see listed in front of you. These aren't, obviously, all the ways that you can spend your time, but these are 18 positive, worthwhile things that you can and tend to spend time on that we want to consider. And they're actually in six different categories, and I didn't break them up for you. Uh, so I want you to draw some lines here, first of all, to break up the categories. I want you to go down three, and under the word exercise, just draw a little line, just, just a little line of separation. Go down five more, and underneath serving others, draw another little line. Go down four more, and under friends, draw another little line. Go down two more, and under education, draw a little line. Two more under hobbies, draw a little line. So now you have six different categories. And I'm going to just say a word about all six of these, and then we're going to back up and spend some time working through these. The first pass on this list, here's what I want you to do. As I mention something about each of these six categories, I want you on the first pass to circle two or three or four areas total on your list that you feel like, God would be honored and pleased for you to invest more of yourself in this area. Now, we're going to go back in a minute, and we're going to actually make some specific goals related to those. Don't circle ten things. Think of the power of focus. You'd be far better off if you circle two or three. Definitely don't circle more than five. So, just first time through the list, as you're just homing in on... I want you to do this prayerfully. As we're doing this, I want you to just stop right now and pray. Holy Spirit, would you guide me? I don't want this just to be a wasted exercise. Would you lead me in what I need to rearrange in my life. Help me to focus on what matters here. All right, first category is the stuff about loving yourself and taking care of yourself. We've got sleep and rest, time off and Sabbaths, exercise and fitness. And you may look at that and think, what a strange place to start the list. That sleep is the first thing that you put on the list. It is not by accident. That is by design. Of all the things on the list, I think this is probably the most universal thing that needs to be circled. Because most people that I know live sleep-deprived. And this is actually a very significant spiritual principle. Everything, essentially, that God ever does in your life begins with rest. We have such a, a backward perspective on things. You know, we're about go, 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 work, 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 do it, do it, do it. And God, just even like in creation, shows us a lot. You know, the Hebrew way of seeing life always begins with evening and then morning. You know, like even today, the Jewish people, they say that Sunday started when? Last night at sundown. Oh, they're much more accurate than we are because Sunday really did start last night. I mean, think about what you're experiencing today and how tied it is to how much sleep did you get last night? 
How much alcohol did you consume last night? What did you have for supper? I mean, all the stuff that went on last night is greatly impacting how you feel today, isn't it? If you, if you feel great today, chances are you didn't go party last night, you got a decent night's sleep, and if you're feeling like, oh, I wish you would shut up and let us go home so I could sleep, chances are that feeling is not just tied to the quality of my preaching, but has something to do also with your choices last night because Sunday didn't start at 8 o'clock this morning. Sunday started last night. Genesis 1 for each day in the week, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God's work in our lives always begins from a place of rest. Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians, deep theology in the New Testament, it all begins with being seated with Christ so that we can walk worthy of Him in the world and take our stand against the devil and his schemes. That whole sit, walk, stand thing. Every new thing with God starts with a position of rest in Christ, and out of a position of rest, we can then operate in His strength. One of the most basic things is for us to learn to rest in Him. So we'll back up and say more about that in a minute. Um, taking time off, uh, a Sabbath, is a very biblical principle, at least one day a week that we have time off, and then exercise and fitness. We'll go back and talk about some specific goals there. The second category, dealing with spiritual development, growing in our love for God, Time spent in the Word, um, time spent in personal prayer, making a priority of worship, and not just being at worship, but being very engaged in worship, actively engaging in a small group, and then serving others, whether that be through mission trip, ongoing ministry, serving others day to day. And then the third category, the relational one, first of all, developing a relationship with your spouse or most significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, time spent with your kids, time spent with extended family, and then time spent with friends and really evaluating, do you have close friends and life-giving relationships there? Fourth category is about job and career. That oftentimes becomes a big time drain, so we're going to back up and talk about some creative things to do there. And then education. For some, you're in school right now, needing to invest the appropriate amount of time to make the most of that investment. Some of you need to go back to school, get started in school. Some needing to finish up a degree. Others of us just needing to, to get back to the basic of, you're not getting formal education, but doing personal development, reading, those kinds of things. Fifth category, vacations and travel, hobbies and personal interests. This category is about keeping life fun. God doesn't want you to just go around with a sour look on your face, just, we've just got to work harder, we've just got to do more. He wants you to enjoy the world that he's made. He wants you to have fun in life, have things that you enjoy doing. And then the, the sixth one, Personal finances and home improvement and upkeep, this is the part of the list that nobody wants to run to. But acknowledging the fact that I'm going to have a lot of financial stress in my life if I'm not consistently investing some time in some things like budgeting and spending and how we're taking care of that and also in taking care of the home that I live in. So, all right, those are your six categories. Have you got some things circled now as you've just thought through that? Everybody got some items circled. Now we're going to make a second pass through the list, having identified a handful of areas that you would like to invest more in in the coming year. Now we want to mark up the page, filling in some specific goals, at least one or two specific goals in that area for the year that's ahead. And I would suggest that you at least have something that would be an immediate goal and then something that's a bigger goal as you move through the year. Remember this, goals don't work if you can't measure them. You have to be able to look back in a few weeks or at the end of the year and go, I did that or I didn't do that. It can't just be, well, I want to be a better blah, blah, blah. How do you measure better? So these things need to be measurable. All right? Now, I want you to write while I talk. So you can just sort of turn me down in your head if you need to and focus in on writing out your specific goals. I'm going to suggest some goals as we go down the list as just examples. You don't have to use any of the ones that I suggest but starting with sleep and rest and that being a key piece. The, the reason that's at the top of the list is not just for the spiritual concerns that I said, but just from the practical aspect that if you're not getting enough rest, it's affecting your spiritual life and it's affecting the key relationships in your life and it's affecting how you work, period. Unless you're Superman or Superwoman, that's a fact. And we've got this weird unspoken ideal in American culture. I know you've, you've run across it. And it's almost universal how we hear this from people, that it's like you're to be admired if you can say, I only get six hours of sleep a night. 
I only, I only sleep five hours a night. It's like, oh, man, that's even, that's even greater. You know why we like that? Because of the thing I said in the beginning, that time is our most precious commodity and you can't buy more of it. Doesn't matter how much money you make, you don't get to buy an extra 50 years. And we want more time. And so you know what we do? We steal it. We steal it at night. We steal the extra time in one and two hour blocks. It's like if I can't live longer, I'll just be awake longer. Seriously. You don't think of it in those exact terms, but isn't that exactly what we do? It's like, I, I want more time, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stretch my days longer, and I'll sleep less, because you can't. You can function on less, and listen, don't give me your story, because I, I ain't believing it. I ain't buying it. All of you who are out there going, well, I don't need but about four hours of sleep. Five, and I'm good to go. I mean, nobody needs more than six hours. Hogwash. All the research says the same thing. The average human being needs eight to nine hours of sleep to be fully rested. And you are a strange bird if you function at your best capacity with a lot less than that. Now, there are a bunch of us who can function on a lot less than that. But I want to tell you, you're killing yourself because the way your body compensates, if you're getting five or six hours of sleep instead of eight or nine, is you run on adrenaline. And you can function doing that, and you're poisoning yourself every day. Because adrenaline is actually a toxin for the body. It is meant to be an emergency stopgap measure to get you through on rare occasion in a bind. And what people do who operate on too little sleep all the time is they are constantly operating with self-generated toxins and it has a horrible cumulative effect on your body. It destroys your health. It will shorten your life. And you will function at a lower level long term because you didn't get enough sleep. You struggle in your prayer time. You struggle to focus when you're reading the Word, and you're testier in your relationships with people if you don't get enough sleep. That's why rest is at the top of the list. Practical goals, boy, those are simple. Answer this question. How many hours of sleep do you need to feel great and function at the top of your game? <laughs> Somebody said 10. God bless you for being honest. You know, <laughs> Nobody ever wants to admit that. It's like, you weakling, you need eight hours of sleep. Hey, be honest about it. Eight and a half hours makes me feel good. You figure out what you need and then start setting boundaries for that. Okay, this is what time I know I've got to get up. This is how many hours I know that I need. The math isn't hard, is it? So then start setting some boundaries in place. Okay, the TV needs to be off by what time? The computer. I mean, just set some practical goals. I never take my computer to bed. Don't take the laptop in the bed. Don't have the TV on beyond this time. Maybe you don't have a TV in your bedroom. Lights need to be out by this time on weeknights because, you know, whatever mornings I've got to get up and go to work, I've got to leave myself this amount of time. This isn't hard, is it? Set some appropriate goals there. <laughs> Thank you. That was actually one of the things that I was fixing to leave out that I mentioned in the first service, if you couldn't. Here, Miss Elaine, she said, after 80, you need naps. I'm going to suggest that before 80, they're a blessing too. <laughs> and I hear people talk about naps like there's some cardinal sin. Hey, other cultures have figured this out. And scientists and doctors have figured this out. You're actually much healthier with little short power naps each day. The whole idea is being rested. A 10 to 20 minute nap has been shown will consistently reduce your stress level and it will reduce your uh, blood pressure. 10 to 20 minute naps. They make a big difference. You get over 80, you may want more than 10 or 20 minutes. I'll tell you when I get there, but very healthy. Operating from a position of rest. The second thing is uh, time off taking Sabbaths. Do you realize that the idea of having one day out of every seven where you do not work is from God himself? God wants you to live in rest. Mankind was made on what day of creation? Sixth day. What happened on the seventh day? Rest. So what did mankind do on its first day? Rested. God said he made it a command, one out of every seven days you are not to work. This does not mean you go to your job six days a week and on the seventh you go home and you cut the grass and you edge and you clean the house and you mop the floors. And No. It means that in six days you do your job, you take care of your home, you manage your responsibilities, and one out of every seven you need a down day. You need a day that you decompress, that you just enjoy a relationship with God, relationships with the people around you. You have time to rest and think 
You have time to map out the week that's ahead. You have a day to get on top of things. Do you realize that in God's design, it was one day in every seven and one year in every seven. You took a full year off, one year out of every seven. And every seven Sabbath years, so once every 49 years, you took the 50th year as the year of Jubilee. So you took one out of every seven days, one year out of every seven years, and every seventh time that you took a year out of every seven, you took two years. It was the year of Jubilee. It was the 50th year. That was God's design. And oh yeah, he threw in a bunch of holy days every year that there was no work to be done on those two. Why do you think God did that? Partly because you need rest. But, but let, let's back up and even think about that. God certainly could have designed you where you didn't need rest. I mean, God put all the parameters in on your body. He could have made you where you needed no rest or you operated on five minutes rest per day or whatever. What was the deal here? God created a ton of downtime. It's about a lot more than rest because you can't sleep a year out of every seven and... God designed us to be relational. He's creating downtime because downtime allows us to connect with Him and other people at such a deeper level than we can when we're busy, busy, busy. You need to create days off, time off. What do you have to adjust? Get specific to make sure that you've got time off, that you can take Sabbaths. And then the third area there is about exercise and fitness. It's the first week of the year, so, you know, everybody's setting goals and priorities about going to be healthy, we're going to all have, you know, six-pack abs and stuff in six months, good luck with that. <laughs> but we all, it is the time of year when we tend to try and work on health and fitness, and that's cool. I said earlier, there's a whole lot of self-hatred going on. There's a lot of us who feel badly about ourselves, and we really can do something about that and should, within reason. It takes some, some thought, effort, and intentionality I'm just going to throw out some, just some random things that you can think about setting goals along these lines. Part of it is about what you do with your body, and part of it is about what you put in your body. And, and you know, I'm the, I'm the one, I always want to have like 10 goals for health and fitness because I just, I want to get it all right. And you never do 10 things. Pick the one or two in this area that you could do not only this year, but that you could live with for the rest of your life. And I'm just going to be open and tell you some of mine for this year, and you won't be impressed. But it's just, what I have found is there are some things that I've been able to stick with, and a year at a time, I'm adding one or two more little pieces and getting to a healthier place and enjoying that. Some of the pieces for this year for me, I finally, this past spring, just kicked carbonated drinks Cokes, sodas, whatever, and eliminated caffeine and eliminated almost all diet drinks because that was my thing. I wanted something, some kind of sweet. And just got rid of all that stuff and finally determined this is the year I'm going to learn to like water. I didn't think I could ever do that. And it worked. And it stuck. And now there are a bunch of empty calories and a bunch of aspartame and every other kind of sweetener that I'm not dumping in my body and feel better about that. And I can live with that. And feel good about that and it's nice to have those calories out of the way i'll tell you another thing that i incorporated this year that's so simple you're going to be like well duh took you years to figure that out but time in the gym took me a long time to ever figure out my niche for for exercise time being a pastor is a wonderful job but it doesn't exactly keep you in the greatest of shape it just doesn't exactly do that for you a lot of you've got jobs that are that way too so we have to be intentional to create some physical work I've done that for years, but finding my time and making that work was the, the challenge. And I, I know these two things about me. I don't like working out at the end of the day. That stinks, and I'm not going to do it. And I hate getting up really early. Those of you that go to the gym at 5 in the morning, I respect you and hate you at the same time. I just, that is gross. If that works for you, God bless you. I will not ever see you there. But I do go to the gym first thing in the morning. My morning just doesn't start at 5. I am asleep at 5, but... I go in to start my day, and the thing that I finally realized this year is I, I, I know that I've got to be in the gym four times a week just to feel good and to, to hit the pace that I need to hit, but my schedule gets interrupted. So what I have done that works for me is I clearly schedule five days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday that I am in the gym. That's going to get interrupted once a week in a normal week. I can't tell you how it'll get interrupted this week. Usually one day will get knocked out. So what I did is I overscheduled.
by one day, and now I get in the normal number that I need per week. And a part of the deal on going to the gym is I block off the time that I really need. If it's a, if it's a cardio and weight day, I need 90 minutes in the gym, and it takes me 15 minutes to get there, 15 minutes to get home, so I have to block off two hours. If it's a shorter day in the gym, I block off an hour and a half. That gives me an hour in the gym. The whole point in saying that is, if you don't give yourself enough time, if you don't prioritize it on your schedule, and you're in there and you're like, I've only got 10 minutes to do this. (laughs) Holy smoke, you're going to leave more stressed out and hating it. The time to decompress while you're in there doing that is a big deal. So, you know, that's on the exercise side. In terms of what you eat, just setting realistic goals and changes that you can manage and live with. If you're going to go out and buy whatever's on the newsstand at the checkout line of the grocery store, and you're going to do this, this crash diet where you're going to lose 40 pounds in the next four months, I'll see you next year at the buffet You know, when you've lost that and regained 50 pounds. Because that stuff doesn't... It, you won't find one person in 10 that loses it and keeps it off. Make little adjustments you can live with long term. So health and fitness, it's worth investing in your own health. Um, second category, the spiritual concerns. Bible study, set reasonable goals for yourself. But man, this is a great area to set goals. Are you? Let me just ask the question. Are you in the Word on a consistent basis, on a daily basis? As much as your body needs food, your soul and spirit need nourishment, are you reading God's Word daily? Setting some healthy goals here that are realistic. If, if you're trying to get back in the Word, why don't you either you know, use version, use one of the specific reading plans there, or you know, take a chapter a day and work through a book at a time, or read the New Testament this year. If you read five chapters a week, you'll go through the whole New Testament this year. It's very doable, or do a chapter and a psalm a day. Those, those are very doable. <laughs> but be careful what plan you pick. We were having lunch together yesterday, and Beth said, I just started a new plan, and it's not working so well. Let's read the Bible in 90 days, and that's 15 chapters a day, and I'm not really liking that. And I'm like, I'm not signing up for that plan, Beth. I get it, you know. If you're not reading the Bible right now, 15 chapters a day might be a little much. So set a realistic goal. Set a time that you're going to do that that works for you. Um, and it's dangerous to eat lunch with me, and you get to be an example in church now. Uh, prayer time set some you know specific goals or parameters I'm going to create a prayer calendar as to who and what I pray for on different days of the week that helps a lot or using certain resources having a set time for that in terms of worship it's not one that you would think in terms of setting specific goals but I'll tell you some that are practical budgeting just a little bit of time to prepare yourself for worship and I don't mean putting on your deodorant and brushing your hair Little, I mean, when you think about worship being such a high holy hour, how much time did you put into preparing yourself to worship? And we had some worship leaders that spent hours preparing to lead us in worship, but thinking in terms of, of plans, to, man, I want to come in prayed up with a heart that's on fire, ready to just explode in worshiping the Lord. I want to be here on time. I want to schedule my time so that I do that. Small groups, hey, here's a... Here's a part of the plan for that, making it a priority. If you're not in a small group, meet us next Sunday, 4.30, in this room, and let us get you in a brand-new forming small group. Uh, Serving others, finding a place to give something back, choosing to take part in a mission trip, finding specific ways to serve others and give away to others. Uh, The next category, you know, investing time with your, your spouse if you're married. Be specific in your goals there. Do you need to make it a part of your plan and schedule that you're going to do a date night every week? Man, that's a great great part of the plan coming up with creative ways to communicate with your spouse and to affirm them every day if it's you know doing the discipline of you know think of little things go buy a dozen cards this week so that every single week in the next three months you find a creative time to have written something in a card and passed it on to you know to send notes to send texts and emails things that are going to pour into that relationship um being creative with your kids, making sure you're investing time with each of them. Um, extended family. I realize a bunch of us, a bunch of people here are escaping, still trying to escape extended family, still trying to recover from some of your extended family. But the truth of the matter is we do live in a, in a world today where the blessing of extended family 
we sort of get robbed of that a lot of times, don't we? Because we, we live away from them, and it, it takes real work and effort to stay connected. And some, some of you have got extended family that you're better off because they're so dysfunctional that it's sort of toxic. But unless that's the case, it's worth the effort to plan sometimes through the year to be with extended family. And, it, you know, some goals may be as simple as call my mom once a week. Call my dad, call my brother once a week or something. Just... It's worth keeping those relationships. Um, Friends, there I would just say, you know, this is an important part of your life. I would dare say, if you've got at least one or two really healthy, strong, life-giving friends, how you would rate your satisfaction in life, your joy in life, is going to be much higher than the person who says, I don't know that I have any really close friends. That one item goes such a long way toward determining just how much you enjoy life. So being intentional, if you look around and go, wow, I don't feel like I've got any or many really close, strong friends. Okay, would you be intentional and actually write in the names of one or two or three people or couples that you think, I want to pursue a relationship here and just see where that goes. And it can start as simple as asking them to go to lunch with you after church, but being intentional in that. The whole thing of job and career, I'm going to come back to that at the very end, but... um, A lot of us are going to probably have to work at trying to manage the time spent there. Education and personal development, I already said a a word about that, but it is worthwhile to just say, we ought to always be learners, we ought to always be readers. Vacation and travel and hobbies and personal interests, I'm kind of shocked when I talk with people who are struggling with life, struggling, you know, with depression and stuff, and and I'll ask them, what did you do today that was just for you, that you just, you love doing that? I'm blown away at how much of the time people go nothing and then you ask the question say well in a normal day in the course of this week what have you done that was just for you because that just makes you happy i can't believe how many times because i ask people this quite a bit they look at me like i don't understand the question it's not a hard question what do you do that you just do it because you have fun doing it it gives you great joy you schedule it in your day doesn't have to be long nothing i just don't ever do stuff for me well there's part of the problem you need some hobbies. You need some places that you like to go, some trips that you plan. God made a big world for a reason. It wasn't just to fit all the people in. He made a big, diverse world that he wants us to explore and enjoy. He wants you to have things that are just fun for you to do. God's not trying to see how much work he can get out of you. He wants you to live life to the full. So find things to pursue. If you're like, I don't have any hobbies or personal interests, all right? You ought to circle that one and work on hey, I want to find some. I'm going to try A, B, and C this year and just see how I like doing that. And then the last area, this is the one nobody's excited about, personal finances and home improvement. The truth of the matter is, if you don't spend some time on a regular basis dealing with personal finances, you have a stress level over that, or you're going to have, because you have to spend invest some time here to not get in trouble. And if that's an area you know, I need to discipline myself and invest some time there, Here's a good suggestion of, of some goals. I'm going to tithe out of the first fruits of everything that I receive. I'm going to give back to God. I'm going to take time, and before the 15th of this month, before I get paid again this month, I'm going to write out a budget. Ask for God to lead me in this. I'm going to actually work out that budget all the way to the point of figuring out how to manage the money as I get paid each paycheck. I'm going to create a savings account. You know, Here's an easy thing to do. Set it up so that... A certain amount of your paycheck every time goes into savings so that you're creating margin. That's time invested in personal finances. The other thing is your home. Some of you, for most of us, and particularly for the women in the room, your home is an extension of you. You feel that. So if your home's in disarray, you feel like your life's in disarray. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Having a plan, and it may be a shared plan within the family and goals as far as how do we take care of the home and the yard and all that stuff so that we're not constantly stressed out about that and so that it's in, in some order that we can live with? So, all right, having said all of that, here's the other piece that I have to offer. You already are using up, just like I am, every hour in the week. You used every hour in 2013 doing something. You didn't get any extra hours by being a good person. You're not going to get any extra hours this year. So the only way to give more time to the things that you just circled and the goals that you just mapped out is something has to be decreased. There's always a trade-off. So what are you going to subtract? What are you going to mess around with? I I would 
uh, commend for your reading just a real practical book that's written by Randy Frazee. You may want to jot the author and the title down. Randy Frazee's book, Making Room for Life. It's all about this issue. Figuring out the things that really matter and then how do you rearrange your life so that you invest in the things that really matter. I heard Randy share in a seminar sometime back and was just so fascinated by all that he shared I ended up going back and reading his book and it's really really cool it helps you to see things in order but he shares some some practical examples a bunch of them of things that he did in his life I, I will mention just two or three one of them and this is the one that that you may be most prone to kind of shrug off and go well pff, nice that he could do that I could never do that it's worth thinking about he says you know the big time drain that you're not probably excited about is work I'll say this as an aside, by the way. We have sort of miscommunicated something, I think, to the next generation that my children are in. That it's like we've sort of told them, you should have a job that you're passionate about. We've created such a sense of work should just be an adventure and a joy all the time that it's almost like it ought to be so good that you shouldn't even have to get paid to go to it. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, there probably aren't. 20 people in this room who have a job that is just so great, I'd do it all the time anyway, even if I didn't get paid to do it. It's the reason you have to get paid to do it. Because it's work, right? I, I confess, I'm chasing a rabbit here, but do you all know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's a whole generation coming behind us that are like, I just can't figure out what to do. I just don't know what I really love. Get a job! <laughs> a paycheck would be nice. So why don't you look for a job that comes with that? And one that comes with a bigger paycheck is to be preferred. I'm not saying it's all about money, but we have like so super idealized work, they won't take a job because they're just not passionate enough about it. How about you just take a stinking job that gets a paycheck? Okay, now I've had my rant and I'll get off that soapbox. Is it not the truth? There is like something badly wrong and they're boomeranging back home as a generation because it's like, we just can't find a job that really fits us. Find one that pays. That would be a good start for fitting that job to yourself. So... I just about forgot what I was talking about on that. <laughs> okay, back to, back to the subject. Frazee pointed out that when it comes to work, he, he just, he was a pastor, is a pastor, and he just worked all the time. He loved what he did, but he worked just an absurd number of hours, 12, 16, 18 hours a day. He would work seven days a week. And the way God got his attention, he just hit a wall. He lived on an adrenaline all the time, until it just the switch flipped it was like a breaker tripped in his body couldn't function couldn't sleep i mean i couldn't sleep at all went multiple days without one minute of sleep and he's freaking out going what's going on i can't function like this anyway he shares in in his book and his life story about how he had to radically redesign his life and he realized part of what was wrong was he was so consumed with work he spent so many hours at work but he wasn't more productive for having done that he was just more stressed out and stretched thin and less time for the family and he said it took about two years altogether but he he had to work with those in authority over him with the elders and people who he answered to to allow for his schedule to be radically redesigned and he cut out like 70 percent of his hour, his work hours he got back to a much shorter week than what the average american works i mean like well below 40 hours not because he's lazy But he just finally realized that, among other things, his work actually was done much more effectively in shorter blocks of time that were really focused and, you know, highly productive person. He found out that that work that he did from home with a lot less interruptions is far more productive. And so over time, he was able to negotiate some changes that didn't all happen at once to where he got back, where he was working a much, much smaller schedule that freed him up for the things that really did matter. You may say, oh, that's... You know, a pastor could pull that off. In today's work world, it's amazing how many different ways to get flexible about what you do and to find out, you know, where could hours be flexible? Could stuff be done from home? I'll tell you, one of the biggest gifts for me in Freedom Church functioning the way that it does is we don't have a church office. I am, I cannot tell you how much more efficient I am in my work now than I was at my last church where there were so many other staff members and where I had just constant interruptions from other staff members all borrowing little pieces of my day and all these meetings to go to. And now what I do is such better quality and so much more focused and so much more efficient, which frees me up for people. Such a great trade-off. Finding ways to be creative in managing your work schedule. Think outside the box about that. And you know what? If your job is the thing that's killing you, look at changing jobs. 
And I know this is a tough time to do that, but you're not ever going to get these years back. Two other things that he shares, I'll share that are just, they'll sound silly, but I say it just to get you thinking. He said, you know, one of the things that we made that was a change that impacted my wife that may sound crazy to you is we bought a new dryer. He said, we've got a bunch of kids, and my wife was like almost seven days a week just washing clothes all the time because she said, he said, we had this old dryer that one hour of drying wouldn't do it. It would take two hours to dry each load of clothes. And he said, with all of our kids, he said, every day of the week, she's constantly doing laundry. And he said, you know, we didn't feel like we had extra money for a dryer, but when we figured out how much time it saved in my wife's week to make one purchase, a large capacity, you know, high-efficiency dryer. And he's like, when you figured it all out, that was such a little bit of money so well spent that saved, what would you buy back with that little bit of money? A lot of time. He said, I'll tell you another thing that we did that you're going to think is really crazy and some of you will think wrong or extravagant, but he said, we both were, you know, so busy with working and, and all these other things going on. And he said, with my wife actually back in the workforce, I decided that one of the most helpful things we could do in freeing up some time is to pay a housekeeper for some small portion of the week to come in and help us. You know, a housekeeper who comes in and washes all the sheets and does the floors and the bathrooms and maybe even does it every other week. In the grand scheme of things, is not a lot of money spent. And in most American households where a husband and wife are both working and in your little bit of off time, you can't hardly manage to stay on top of the house if you can trade a little bit of money in exchange for a chunk of time that you can now invest in the things that matter most, sometimes that's not such a bad trade-off. I'm not counseling everybody to go get a housekeeper. What I am saying is think creatively about how do you leverage using the resources that you have to buy the thing that's in such short supply, and that is time. So think creatively about that. Now, I'm done. Let me say this as we close. I know that some of us are skeptics and are like, I've done resolutions a hundred times and they're all gone by the end of the month. And they can be that way. Unless Jesus is in the middle of that. Our intentions, our efforts, combined with God's power, can go a long way. And I close with Ephesians 3.20, which says this. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything that we can ask or imagine. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? I do too. That if you set some priorities for this year, God cares what you do with this year. God wants to bless healthy priorities. And with God's power working in you, you can do much, much more than you would imagine possible. Don't let this just be some lame New Year's resolutions, but... We want to take this before the Lord and say, God, I want to live differently. I want to make every minute count. Your word has called me to do this. I'm asking for your favor to live a different life this year. Would you join me as we go to the Lord and and ask him together in prayer for that? Father, we need you every moment of our lives, but we particularly need you to help us make every moment count. Your word has counseled us to do that, and we're trying to be intentional in that. Lord, we want to make the most of 2014 Please help us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to supply your power that we wouldn't just operate in our own strength and resolve. Help us to live lives that are focused and that really matter. Help us to pursue a deeper relationship with you and the people around us. And help us to live as healthy, balanced people that we'd be in a better place for you to use us fully. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to point out one last thing. The passage, with God's power working in you, you can do far more. For some people here today, the most important thing that you could do today, the most important decision is not a resolution, but it is about allowing God in your life so that His power is in you, changing you. That has to have a beginning point. Receiving Christ as your Lord, receiving His forgiveness in your life as a beginning point will be the one thing that will do far more than anything else to change your life And you will have a different 2014 and 15 and every year beyond. If that's what you need to do today, whether you're listening or watching online or here in the room today, would you simply pray with me a simple prayer from your heart that says, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sins and make me new. I believe that you died in my place and rose from the dead. 
And I'm asking you now to be the Lord of my life. Would you change me and lead me from this point forward? Father, I thank you for how you hear and answer that prayer so consistently. I thank you for the the gifts of eternal life, of being now your sons and daughters that you give as we respond to you in faith. I want to ask you right now as we're praying, how many of you today, as we start a new year, don't, don't do this for me, nobody else is looking around, but just in the sight of God, how many of you, by raising your hand, would say, I want today and for every day of the coming year to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be used of God. I want to walk with God this year. And I'm simply raising my hand to say, Lord, I volunteer. I want you to use me. Let this year be a year that is fully for you. Father, you see our hands. You know our hearts. Lord, take us. Make us your own and use us this year. Help us to live fully for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.